Today, we've got to work through a little more of being, uh, what's the title of this series now? I can't remember. Perfectly Abnormal. Perfectly Abnormal. That's right. I can't remember it sometimes. Sometimes I have to look at my shirt. And so, uh, <laughs> so this morning, we're moving a little further. People ask me, when are you going to end this thing? I can keep going forever. We can just keep this thing rolling. It's, it's not... The good news is we will end at Christmas. We will, because the greatest abnormal story that's ever been told is where we're headed. So we've got to get the foundation. So if I start telling you that a, a young girl who never knew a man starts having babies, and I start telling you old women who's already done pretty much past their time have babies, and I start telling you angels show up in the middle of the sky and start singing... And I start telling you that shepherds watched them and went and checked on this kid, that wise men or magi who are, who are great studiers and, and incredibly learned people are going to get on camels and take their caravan and travel hundreds and thousands of miles just to worship a two-year-old. Not, not a grown person. Not a, this is a baby. They, they bring gold, frankincense, myrrh to a two-year-old and worship him. That's not normal. So before we get there, we need to understand what does abnormal look like. We've kind of studied some of this, and we're back into this mindset, and I'm going to really get to the deepest part this morning as we start to kind of walk out. This, this morning is something you will have to confront every day, and you will have to deal with every day. It is where the normal interacts with the abnormal. It's where the people that consider themselves normal come across Christians who claim people get swallowed by fish. And, and we live in this abnormal, crazy, fanatical, can't you just keep it inside the building group. There's no place for this in the real world. We used to just hear that from lunatics. Now we hear it from Congress. We live in a world where this is going to become more and more and more a debate and more a fight. So I want to show you this morning what happens. We studied last week, and I'll kind of catch us up from last week because we need to start from that point. We're in chapter 9 of the book of John, and we're talking about the man who was healed of blindness that he had from the time he was born. He was born blind. So there's, there's parts. There's, he, he doesn't have certain, certain eye sockets. He doesn't have certain things. It's not just that he can't see. He, he was born defected. There was no way he would ever be able to see. And I want, I want you to understand this, that nowhere in the history of the Old Testament... Nowhere in the history of any history that Israel has has anyone ever been born blind and been able to make them see. There's people that have been healed of blindness, but not one that basically is missing parts. And everybody knows they're just blind. They don't, they're never going to see. Not anywhere, no Old Testament prophet, nobody has ever been healed of this. 
So this is what makes this story so dramatic that Jesus comes on the scene and heals. And last week we studied how He made mud, rubbed it on this man's eyes, told him to go to the pool of Siloam, wash it off, and when He washes it off, His eyes work. It is, it is an enormous, incredible miracle. So much so that now we're fixing to talk about what happens when normal meets perfectly abnormal. What happens? What's the reaction? Well, let me first carry us back to one scripture that I need us to kind of keep in our mind as we go. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Because this is the whole purpose of the book of John. It's important to remember, why did John write this book? Why was Matthew written? Why was Mark written? Why was Luke written? Well, I can tell you each one of those. And I can also tell you why the book of John was written. Here's what he says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this what? John said, I could have written you a 40-chapter book. I could have written you a book as thick as the Bible. I could have written you a book that would have kept going. He said, I'm just hitting the surface of all the miracles that I saw and we as the disciples saw him do. And I told you that literally around Galilee and around that area, he was eradicating sickness. It's not that Jesus just barely healed somebody every now and then. The Bible says they brought people from everywhere and he healed them all. He was a walking hospital, a walking miracle center. He was so powerful that literally when he would get tired and get on a boat and say, I'm going to the other side of God, they would run all the way around there to get to the other side to watch him do stuff on the other side. This was three years of something the world had never seen. And John said, the reason I'm writing you this book is to tell you just a glimpse of what we saw. And not that, but listen, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have eternal life in His name. So the book of John is the book of believing. Look at that person beside you and tell them, it's the book of believing. The goal of this book is to read the book and to believe. To believe that not only Jesus did miracles, but that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is the reigning King. That He is coming back. And that through Him you will have eternal life. John said, I wrote this book for this very purpose. So now, understanding that, we could say that not only is this normal confronting perfectly abnormal. This is also the book of belief confronting unbelief. Because just like I'm telling you that this is the book that helps you believe, there are also, all throughout the book of John, the other side of this, where while Jesus is doing miracles and signs and wonders and nobody can explain them, at the same time, it is a book of unbelief. Let me show it to you. Go with me to the very first verses. So John doesn't waste any time. John 1 in verse 11. I'll read this one. I won't read any more of those. He came to his own 
and his own people. John says, let me just tell you as I start to write this book to you, that not only is this book about people that will believe, but it is also a story of him coming to his own people and most of his people that heard the stories and saw what he did did not receive or did not, in some interpretations of your Bibles, King James, others, did not believe him. We could go all the way through. We could say Nicodemus. When he meets Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, do you know all this stuff and yet you don't believe? He talks to nobles. He talks to leaders in chapter 5. He talks to the Galatians. Even in chapter 7, it starts off by telling you that the brothers of Jesus did not believe him. His own family did not believe him. This is the story that we're reading. The story of belief intertwined with his story of unbelief. And it has not changed. Every one of you in this room that battles, deals with, has to, has to come to grips with this understanding of belief and belief. So I want to show you a little bit as we walk through this, the nature of unbelief. If we're going to have to confront it, deal with it, even in our own lives, then what is the nature of unbelief? What's it? Is its character? If I, if I confront somebody who doesn't believe, some of you may be married to someone who doesn't believe. Some of you may be going to Christmas parties, just did Thanksgiving with people that don't believe. What's the character? What, what is the traits? What, is, what, what am I dealing with when I'm dealing with, because this is so important, dealing with my own self, the only, the own things I have to wrestle with, and the people that I have to wrestle with on the outside. Number one, let me share this with you, that when we deal with unbelief, number one, unbelief always draws conclusions before it gains the information or examines the facts. It comes already having its own viewpoint. It already has a conclusion in mind. Let me see if I can explain it this way. We, we, are, we are dealing with, you know, you don't hear a lot about evolution anymore. You know, that was pushed down our throats for like 20 or 30 years. Evolution, we're going to figure, we're going to find all the missing pieces and all the genes and all the different missing parts and all that. You notice you don't hear any of that garbage anymore? You know why? Because they dug in the ground deep enough to figure out they can't find parts. That's all that's happened. What they thought they would find, the missing links... Guess what they found? No missing links. Remember that chart that showed you the thing and it goes a little bit and it glues his hair and it gets a little... They ain't found none of that. In fact, it wasn't even a scientist that drew that. It was an artist who said, here's the way I think it happened. Yeah, that sounds better than the Bible. Because they already start with the conclusion, we don't believe the Bible, and we don't believe there's a God, and we don't believe any of this, so now we've got to find the truth. So now where are we? Well, let's see. We still can't believe the truth that there's a God. But what we can do is believe that little green men brought us here, 
a few hundred thousand years ago and we evolved from that. Oh, don't get, listen to me. Over these next 10 or 20 years, you listen to me very carefully. What you're fixing to be told is that from other plants, why we're in such a race to get to Mars and prove there was water. That's why we're in such, why? Because we're looking for any life form, anything that would prove that, the, that, that there's aliens out there. And you're going to hear in Congress, and you're already having meetings in Congress about aliens and everything else. We've never even had an alien, never seen an alien, don't know what an alien would look like, but we're already having meetings about them. Because the alternative is to look at the science, and science says we were created by creative design. Oh. Oh, you're saying there's something out there big enough that made us the way we, that in other words, we didn't just happenstance to get to where we are. No. Something had to have put us here. Something had to have created. There's no way there could be this many variety of trees, this many varieties of grass. This many, there's no way that rivers could work the way they do and oceans and the way the moon fits just perfectly. There's no way. Something had to design it. Well, it must be aliens. Because we already know there ain't a God. Listen to me. When unbelief begins to investigate something, it already, when it begins, has its own viewpoint. That's why some of you, when you try to win somebody to Christ, anybody ever try to talk to somebody and it's like, you just talk to them and they're like, I mean, it's like, I'm telling you the truth. And even if they know it's the truth, they're not going to believe it, are they? Because they already come with a conclusion in mind. Let me tell you something else about unbelief. It, it establishes false standards. See, the world would believe us if we could just prove more. Now, we don't have to prove any of the other stuff. We don't have to prove all the alien stuff. We don't have to prove all, all evolution. We don't have to prove all that. No, no, no. That's just, that's just understand. Any smart person would know that. But you're going to have to convince me there's a God. Well, I thought the trees did that. David said, if you walk outside and you got good sense, you'll know there's a God. No, no, that ain't enough. You've got to give me more. Number three, unbelief demands more and more evidence but doesn't respond rationally even when you get it. Even if you show them like we have, like we just talked about, if you show them, look, there's a creative design, that must mean there's a God. No. Number four, it does biased research. If it doesn't fit what I already want, then we just push it out. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to use it. We see this in politics. We see this in everything else. We just show you the information we want you to know, and we leave the other half of the information out. That's why they can't have any conversation in the halls of Congress or anything. Why? Because I'm already biased in the way I think, and I'm already stuck in the way I think and the way I do, then I don't want to hear what you have to say. I know I'm already right. I just need you to agree with me. Unbelief operates in this. Unbelief operates in this realm of biased research. And then finally, when you get to the bottom of it, you realize that it's just self-centered. God said about Israel once when they were walking away from Him, He said, let me explain what you're doing. He said, you're walking away from a river that flows all the time, that you can get all the water you want from. 
you walk away from it with a shovel and you dig a hole. And when it rains and the water fills up the hole, you tell yourself, look what I did. And when the water evaporates out of it, you blame God that it ain't raining. Same people that don't believe in a God will tell you on the 6 o'clock news that the next hurricane is an act of God. Because their hole in the ground dried up. And they can't control things. Listen to me very carefully. It's, it's egocentric. So when you're dealing with someone like this, do you see how difficult it is? How hard it is? And, and the world pushes even more and more. That's why they want to get to your kids and they want to get to all this because the quicker they can get their mindset stuck in this pattern where it doesn't listen, it already has its own... It already has... That's why every cartoon that's made is shows the kid is smart and the parent is dumb. You ever notice that? You know why that is? Because they don't want you to give them information that would help them. We'll take care of all the false information they need. Is this okay? I know it totally changes from our Christmas songs a while ago, but I'm trying to get you there. It's self-centered. It's ego-driven. Let me explain it. The Pharisees in chapter 7 and 8 of John already had told everybody who Jesus was. They already had done decided. And here's what they come up with. He was demon-possessed. That was, that was what they told everybody. He has a demon. That's why he's able to do miracles, because he's got a demon, and, and he can tell one demon to come out of the other one. That was their theology. He was demon. He was Satan-led. Anybody that's not obeying the Sabbath, anybody that's not doing what they're supposed to, anybody that's not following our traditions, anybody that's not doing it the way we do it has to be satanic. And ultimately, he's just insane. Finally, that's just, even his own parents came to come get him one time. Remember, they, they told the people told their parents and his brothers and said, you need to come get him. Man, this dude's insane, all the junk he's teaching and all this. And, and the Bible says they came to come get him and, and somebody stopped him and said, hey, your mom's outside, your brothers are outside. And he, said, he looked around and he said, this is my mother and these are my brothers, those that listen and obey the will of God. We make it sound like Jesus was just walking around. Listen, there was most of the people that saw Jesus walking through thought he was a lunatic. And even if you didn't, you couldn't say that he wasn't a lunatic because the Pharisees who controlled the religious and, and the social side had already said, if you say anything other than that, we'll kick you out of church. This was the atmosphere that perfectly abnormal was living in. It always takes me back, and I didn't pull it up this morning, but I love the Grinch movie. The... the the real, not the animated, but the John Kerry did a, did a good job on that one. And then one part of that is just the, the perfect scene for that whole movie. You've got the mayor who he's got all the power and he's got the new car. He's got everything is set up for him. And the Grinch comes to the celebration, the Whoville celebration, and he just messes up everything. 
finally the mayor and tweaking and pushing him and finally drives him over the edge and he does something. And the mayor just stands up finally with the burnt Christmas tree and everything. And he says, can't we just go back to normal? You remember that scene in there? Can't we just go back to the way it was? That's the Pharisees. The Pharisees says, can't we just keep, can't we just keep, because we're enjoying this. We got it good. And why do y'all keep wanting to mess up good? By bringing the Grinch. Or in their terms to the Pharisees, this crazy, insane lunatic to the party. And so with that mindset, let's get to our story. Sorry, it took me a few minutes to get there. Go with me to verse 13 and 14 now, and I want to show you the characters that we're dealing with when we talk about when normal meets perfectly abnormal or when belief meets unbelief. Here's what it says. They said, look at the person beside you, say they. That's number one. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. This is the, the group that asked the blind man, who is his neighbors, his friends, everybody that knows him, who healed you? And he told them the story. And they said, well, where is Jesus? Where is this man? He said, I don't know. He said, I, I was blind when I left. And I hadn't seen him since I got back. But I'm just telling you what happened. Here's what happened. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly had been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his so this is the setting. Number one is the they. Can you pull up a they? Number one. I'm going to pull them up because I want you to see what they look like. There you go. You got them? That's the they. Anybody know some they's in the world? Hmm. That's kind of strange. Hmm. Wonder what happened. Hmm. That, that's not normal. You sure... Because even they had asked him, even when they saw him, this is people, they, he, they had seen him every day, or they had seen him, he hadn't seen them. But he had sat there every day, they'd seen his face, give him money, and, things, and, and when he got back, he, they would say, he looks like him, but I don't know if that's him. And he looks at them, he looks at the they, and he says, no, it's me, me. I remember your voice, and I remember your voice, and I, it's the first time I've had to, got to see you, but I remember you. So they are the first group that we... Now, let me explain the they crowd. So they are confused. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to deal with this because it's messing up some of the standards by which they live by. Listen, when we talk about the they, their fear, concern, confusion, disturbed by the healing on the Sabbath... They're, it's like, okay, this happened, you said, on the Sabbath? Well, man, that's totally against everything we already call normal. You sure it was on the Sabbath? Yes, on the Sabbath is when he healed me. They're disturbed by maybe that this guy 
was healed. They're confused by what do we do with it? Ultimately, what they come up with is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is what keeps rising to the occasion. Because this is what's been drilled into them. For some of you, the hardest thing to do when you're confused is to be in a situation where it wasn't the way you were taught. Some of the funniest things that, that I get to deal with is people that were raised from another background, another denomination, whatever, and they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's funny. Because now they got to go home or back to their family. And the same people that said, you know, them just a bunch of crazy people. It's, it's, them, them people don't have their good sense. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I pray in tongues. What? Yeah, I believe in that. You go to all seasons? Yeah, I, I go to all seasons. They're a bunch of weird people down there. They're not that weird. Maybe a little. <laughs> not totally. Now don't laugh because you know you've had to deal with that person. Hmm. Have you done gone crazy? Maybe you've lost some of your senses. And now you have to defend what once was something that you didn't agree with. This is the situation that they're dealing with. They're like, okay, we don't believe anything good happens on the Sabbath. We don't believe you can do anything on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is, is untouchable. Listen, the Sabbath was so strict that if you were dying on the Sabbath... You were dying. You, you, had a, you had somebody accidentally stuck a, a spear in your side. Some, you, you'd hit a pitchfork and it, it had stabbed you. Do you know they couldn't do medical work on you on the Sabbath? That was work. All they could have done is put a Band-Aid over it and helped you survive until the next day. And if you died, it was just meant to be. They could give you a Band-Aid because that was just to, to prevent you or to, or to stabilize you, they could do it, but they could do nothing medical to help you. Listen, they, they weren't allowed to do, there was no work. They, even to the point of a candle, let's say you had a candle. You could not blow out a candle and you could not light a candle on the Sabbath. That's work. So if you had a candle full of oil and, and you forgot to, un, to blow it out, and, and, and it was still lit on the Sabbath, you couldn't blow it out to save the oil in your lamp. You had to just let it burn. And if it was out and you needed light, you couldn't light one. It was, it was multitudes of crazy laws that, that you couldn't do anything, you, you could, anything that, that counted as work. And one of them was what Jesus did, which was spit on the ground and made mud. That was work. Because in the spittle, they're considered some healing qualities. So to spit on the ground and to put your spittle in mud and rub it on someone's eyes, you did medical work. 
So when, when he told them the story that Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, rubbed it on their eyes, all they could think in their mind was, on the Sabbath? Yeah, on the Sabbath. Well, that ain't supposed to happen. But you can't argue because the man's healed. So what do you do when the miracle happens? A good thing has happened, but you're not supposed to have done it. Why couldn't he have done it a day earlier? Or why couldn't he have come back a day later? Why did he have to do it then? Well, let me explain to you. Go with me to Mark 2, verses 27 and 28. I wish y'all had all day to just sit here and talk about this stuff. This is such good stuff. Here's what it says. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the... See, the the Pharisees had flipped it. They, They had made it that the Sabbath was made to be reverent. The Sabbath was made not to be messed with. In other words, it wasn't made for rest and enjoyment. It wasn't made... And, and even when I grew up in church, man, it was, it was still stringent. Anybody grew up in one of those churches? I mean, I, if, if I didn't go to church that morning, you definitely didn't go fishing that afternoon. I was so happy when they finally started canceling Sunday night services. I was like, thank the Lord. Because then if somebody said, you didn't go to church, we don't have it. <laughs> don't lie. Some of y'all felt the same way. And they look at you like, well, they have church down at the other church. Yeah, but that ain't my church. I'm not going down there. <laughs> we just have Sunday morning service. And the Sunday afternoon, we can enjoy. Don't, don't, don't laugh at me. Now. I'm telling you the facts. Just because they were stuck don't mean we were unstuck. We still tried to bring some. There's still some folks that tell me I'm not saved because I don't do my church service on Saturday. People still get caught up in this junk. And Jesus says, listen, the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, it's your day of rest. That's why Mondays I don't answer the phone. I always pick with y'all. If you die on Monday, I'll check on you on Tuesday. Because Monday is my Sabbath. I don't even have my phone. I, I don't, you'd have to get to Elise and then she'd have to get to me because my phone stays in the car. It's my Sabbath. I don't know what you do on your Sabbath. Maybe you just work all day checking on. On my Sabbath, phone stays in the car. I'm done. I ain't fixing nothing. I ain't helping nobody. I ain't praying for nobody. My brain rests. Why? Because the Sabbath was made for man. It was made for you to take a break. He built this in everything. He said the ground has to take a break. He even built it six years you plow, seventh year you let the land rest. He said, I built you the same way. Six days you work, one day, take a break. You want to know why you're so tired? Because you never take a Oh, I sat down for a little bit. I didn't say said, I said, take a break. You've got to build Sabbaths. And Jesus says, not man for the Sabbath. It was not meant to do this religious struggle, hardship. It was meant to, to rest. Go with me to John 5, 16 through 18. Here's what it says. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because He was doing these things on the... But Jesus answered them, My Father is working 
until now. In other words, my father works on the Sabbath, and so I'm going to be working too. He said, my father does miracles on the Sabbath, so I'm going to be doing miracles. He does good on those days, so I'm going to be doing good. This is why the Jews hated him, because by saying this, he's saying, I'm equal with God. And he was making a mockery of their Sabbath. So this first group, pull their picture up, number one again, they are confused. Some of you in this room may be in this group of unbelievers. I'm not saying you don't go to church. I'm not saying you don't, quote, believe in Jesus. I'm saying you live most of your religious life confused. Well, like, you believe that? I deal with it all the time. I can have 70-year-old women come to me out of other denominational backgrounds and crazy theology that your hair is this and you got to... But what do you do when you're 70-something? Your hair starts falling out. And they come to me crying and they're like, I'm losing my glory. Thinking, sweetie, somebody messed you up bad. (laughs) Your hair falling out did not make you less. I know this sounds crazy, and and, and some of you are looking at me right now like this because I'm messing with your past. I'm messing with your heritage, and I mess with mine. I realize this because many times I go to my own groups, meetings, and I stick out. I'm the one that gets... (laughs) (laughs) Among my own people, I'm the weirdo. So don't don't think I'm saying this like you're... I'm telling you, I'm the one that... I get that look all the time. Hmm. That darn Tim just a little bit different. Little weird, that dude. And it's okay. Because following Jesus, he's going to continually put you in places that's going to challenge your tradition. Not, not, not your beliefs. Now, we all believe in Jesus. We all believe and we'll all be in heaven together. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about while we're walking in this world, there you're going to meet a lot of Christian people that have that look. The Baptists look at the Methodists that way, and the Church of God look at the Assembly of God, and all of us look at each other just like that right there. Hmm. You got it wrong. I don't know why you're growing, but you got it wrong. So number one, write this down. There are the people that you're going to meet, and it's the they. It's just the crowd. The crowd always goes to the leader, the one who told them what to do. Because in confusion, you're always going to go back. It may be, well, that's what my mama taught me. You're going to go back to something that is your bedrock. Well, guess what? To them, the Pharisees are the bedrock. So what did they do? They carried the man. Now let's show number two, the man. This is the man. And guess what his eyes are doing? (laughs) 
You're going to meet these people in the world. These mess up the world. These people right here just totally mess up normal. Here I is. What you going to do with me? I mess up everything about the pie. I do it totally different. I'm, I'm totally contrary. Not in my beliefs. I mean, nail that. Not in my beliefs, but in, in, in the way you had it nailed down, how it has to be and how it has to look and how I have to dress and I, I got to do this and I got to do that or it won't work. And, and, and I'm just messing up everything you thought was normal. And this guy, listen to me, in verse 15, is talking about him. Go with me to verse 15 and, and, and listen to what he's, this mindset is with him. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I... He said, listen to me. Let me explain something about these people. Hopefully I'll be one of these people in my life. I only know the facts of my story. And I know that God's witness is for his glory. That's the only thing I know. I can only tell you my story. I don't have someone else's story. I, I can tell you about Charles Spurgeon. I can, I can quote you what happened in 18, some of, some of the, I, I can tell you all these things. But I, if you ask me to just nail it down, I can only tell you my story. So if somebody says, you believe in healing? Oh, yes, I believe in healing. Because I have been one of the ones that at times in my life have been healed. You believe God opens doors? I am somebody God has opened multitudes of doors. Do you believe God has provision and, and God has providence over your life? Absolutely meeting Elise Lot, having my children, all that moving to forest, everything about my life. Oh, yes, I believe in the providence of God. I don't have someone else's story. I don't have some book to read you about somebody in 1800 that did something for God. I've come by to tell you that I've come by to tell you that I've come by to tell you that I know it because he did it for me. That's the power of my story. That, that's the one I can't fall off of. That's the one you can't mess with. I don't go to church because grandma went to church. I don't go to church because somebody else did it. I'm not going through the rituals because somebody else. I'm telling you, he's my best friend. I'm telling you, I talked with him this morning. I'm telling you, I walk with him every day. I'm telling you, he is my all in all. He's my strength when I have no strength. He's my wisdom when I don't know where to go. He is my healer when I need healing. He is everything and all of that. He's my very next breath. I know that. Now you can beat me. You can criticize me. You can tell me I'm uneducated and I agree with all of that. But my look's still going to be the same. I can only tell you what I know. I didn't come by to convince you. I come by to tell you. The man can only tell you for the glory of God what happened. We get into this mind, well, I don't know how to witness to anybody. Yeah, you do. Tell them your story. I'm, I'm not good at Yeah, you are. Tell them your story. You're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Get good at telling your story. Yeah, but it's weird. Absolutely it is. It will not fit normal. It will not fit normal. You did not normally walk into church. You did not just normally get saved. You did not just normally change your life. Number three, 
the Pharisees. Verses 16 and 17. So he tells them the story. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. What did I tell you about unbelief? We already know the answer. We just need to figure out how to get there. That's unbelief. We already don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We just need to figure out how y'all crazy. That's, that's unbelief. We, we, don't, we don't believe in living a holy life. We believe everybody sins a little bit every day. We just need to figure out how we can get there. You can take any theology you want as long as you end with your answer already and begin with your answer already in mind. Nobody will convince you otherwise. Don't confuse me with the facts. I already know what I know. And the Pharisees, some of them said, we already know. This man is not from God. For he does not keep the... They said, we already got one tradition, and we know that tradition. If he breaks our tradition, that means whoop, no matter what he does, I don't care if he raises dead people, doesn't matter if he heals blinded eyes, doesn't matter what he does, no matter what he preaches, we don't care. He broke this one rule, so therefore he cannot be... He doesn't do it our way. No way you can be a preacher. Why? You don't wear a suit and tie. You're already... You're already gone. You can't be our pack. Why? Because you move around too much. A real man of God stands right here. I mean, you can come up with any of them. I can keep doing this all day. I have grew up in this thing now. How, how far you want me to go? I can go as far as you want. Some of them will hurt you. Some of them hurt me. Sometimes you're the laugher. Sometimes you're the one laughed at. But understand this. It's all tradition. It's all a tradition that is trying to figure out we can put into a capsule what, what, what it really is and we can harness it and, 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 and that where everybody has to do the same thing then we'll have it made but that's not the way God does business that's why he didn't do the miracles the same way because he, he, he doesn't do that he doesn't want I think God gets tickled at watching all these different churches and everything and watching I think he just laughs it's like you folks are grab me just like his own disciples I mean think about it he got a zealot he got a tax collector he got can you imagine him sitting there at night listening to them have conversations You imagine their conversations? And then Judas chimes in. And Jesus is sitting there like, y'all are crazy. Thinking y'all going to nail God down to one board. He's too big. He's too big. Some of the Pharisees said, this man cannot be from God. He doesn't keep this up. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division even among, and that's when it gets good, folks. When, when a church starts having conversations inside itself, now we're getting somewhere. Jesus had, had gone so far and had done so much that now this religious entity was having its own convulsions because 
well, well, how can he do this if he's, if he's a sinner? And Well, we already know he's a sinner, so we don't even have to ask the question, how does he do it? We'll just fill in the blanks. He's satanic. He's whatever. Go with me to the pictures. You're going to meet some unbelievers like this. Number three, eight. Anybody ever meet them? You just wrong. We just ain't figured out how. You are out of line. You're doing it wrong. And then there's the others that are still part of the same group, but they're like, ooh, this is messing us up. The evidence is messing us up because we know that if somebody does miracles like this. They can't be from anywhere but God, but we keep telling everybody he's not from God, so we are in a problem. How do we theologically put this thing together? This is unbelief. John John does a wonderful job in this one story of showing us what unbelief looks like when it meets belief. And you in this room have to deal with it every single day. All the time you have to deal with it. I'm not going to have time this morning to go much further. But I'm going to show you number four. Is that okay? We'll get to the story next week. Is that okay? I don't want to rush it. Is that that all right if I don't rush this? Because I can just throw the story in here real quick and, and we will be, but we won't be where we need to be. The fourth group, if we go to verse 18 through 23. And let me just quickly go through. Go to 16 and 17. Let's just read from 16 all the way. And and that way I can deal with the Pharisees and number four, his parents. So there's two groups of Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees said this man is not from God. All right, verse 17, let's go to 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been... So, so what did they finally come to? The group that's... that's mm, looks at the group is like... And they say, well, he must never have been blind. This is just big hoax. And the funny thing is, you never hear from the other group ever again in this story. The ones that, that, that are... This doesn't quite line up. Are the people you'll meet later, like you'll, you'll, you'll have one person chew you out and tell you wrong and everything, and, and then somebody will kind of put their arm around you when you're walking out, and they'll say, now, I, I want you to know, I kind of believe some of the stuff that you, I, I know I'm not quite on their level. Don't you take that too hard. Don't, don't, don't. You're going to meet people who, but here's the problem. Those people are not the loudest voice, so usually they get silenced. Ministers from, from other denominations get filled with the Holy Ghost. What do you do with that? You got to be quiet. I remember Elise's mom had this one pastor come to their church in Eupora for about six months. And they were in between, and, and he, he was brought in to fill in. And man, she's. 
her mom loved this guy. Boy, she was like, this guy's good. His sermon, man, it's just really good. And the last Sunday, he got up. <laughs> and he said, guys, this is my last Sunday. He was from a mission field, so he was, that was mainly where he was sent. He said, I need to be honest with you. He said, I don't understand everything about it, all this stuff and everything. He said, but I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You can imagine the shock on everybody in that church. He said, I just need to let you know that's where this comes from. That's where... And my mom, her mom, from that moment on, treated me differently from that moment on. And I can never be thankful enough for that guy. Because for six months, she had to listen and hear and know that that's real. It's not just a show. It's not just dancing or flopping in the floor. It, there's a power that when you got that power, it transforms your life and it takes your speaking and your preaching and it takes how you live and it takes everything to another level. I can never thank him enough. But the Jews did not believe that he'd even been blind and received until they called the parents of the man who received the sight. So number four is the parents. His parents answered, and they asked them, Is this your son who was born blind? And how then does he see? They asked them how many questions? Two questions. Is this your son, and how did he gain his sight? And here's what the Bible says. His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son. And that he was born blind. This is him. Been living at our house his whole life. But how he sees, we, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Now they're lying. They're lying. Because everybody in town knows who did this. This is, this is not something... The name of Jesus... You'll notice that the Pharisees in this story never call him by Jesus. They say, this man. They, they hate him so much, they won't even name him, give me a name. We know that this man is a sinner. We know this man. What did that man do to you? They won't say Jesus. But how he sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes and asked ask him. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they had feared the who? Feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the... Now when we say put out, this does not mean they just weren't invited to church. It means socially... They, if, if you're put out of the church, if you die, you can't even have a funeral. Nobody's coming. There's not going to be a funeral. They're just going to go bury you. You're not part of the community anymore. It's kind of like some places, if you ain't part of that church, you don't get buried in that graveyard. Well, that's the way they were. Nobody's coming up to preach your funeral. You're not part of us. You're not a Jew anymore. You're not, I mean, you were totally cut off. Your family would not speak to you no more. So the Jews use this as fear to tell them, listen, 
If we hear you speak about Jesus, we're going to cut you off. Show us a picture of number four. Many times this is us at work. This is us and our family. We know what we should say. We know that if we say it, it's probably going to bring criticism. It's probably going to bring... So to keep peace, to keep peace and not cause any controversy, we just don't say anything. I think of all the people in the story I dislike the most, it's these. To know the truth and not tell anybody the truth. They could have stood up right then and said, absolutely, that's our son. He, he was born, no sockets in his eyes. There's no God-given way this boy could ever see. We went to here, I'll show you the medical research. I'll check to the doctors, I'll give you their names. We took him to doctors when he was a boy. We finally just accepted that he would never be able to see. But this man Jesus, and I don't know who he is, and I don't have all the answers, and I'm not trying to come to some theology, but I'm telling you, this man Jesus rubbed mud on the ground, rubbed it on my son's eyes, and at the end of it, when my son washed, I don't know who this man Jesus is, but I'm telling you what he did for my boy. That's what they should have said. I don't know everything about Jesus, but I know we had a car wreck and we should have died, but God didn't let us. And I don't know how to answer that. I just know there's a Jesus. I don't know how I didn't die as a baby because my mom said I had these diseases and the doctor said I was this. I don't know why I'm sane now because they said I was bipolar and I've got all these problems. I don't know all the answers to everything you're asking me, but I'll tell you this much. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in what he's done. I believe because I got a story. Will you stand? You've got to get to class, foundations class. You don't want to miss that. Bradley's going to do an awesome job. So I don't have to worry about you going to your car. You're fixing to go straight to foundations, right? Amen. Next week, you're going to meet unbelief. Next week, you're going to, you're going to hit headlong into unbelief. You're going to meet all kinds of faces, and sometimes it's going to hit you. It's going to laugh because somebody's going to give you that look, and you're going to think, Pastor Lot done showed me that look. <laughs> Pastor Lot done showed me that look. Understand, you're going to have to choose in the middle of your life whether you're going to be a believer or allow all the unbelief that comes against you to break you down. I think one of the greatest compliments I got the other day was from Joel. And I think it was yesterday and we were at a party or something and he was he walked by and he just smiled and he said 
I'm going to come over and shake your hand, Brother Lot. He said, because I know if I don't, you'll be offended and your, your heart will be broke and you, you, won't, you probably won't talk. You know, you'll be all upset for the next three months. <laughs> he just laughed and he walked away and he says, and I heard he's walking away, he said, I know that ain't true. <laughs> and what he was saying was, I really don't give a hoot what you think. If any of you get up in the morning and think, well, what I think really matters to pastor, you're over-evaluating yourself. <laughs> I really don't. I love you. And I'm going to do everything I can to make your life the best it can be. Give you every opportunity, every door I can give you. But I'm not changing. And, and one preacher said it right this morning when he said, he said, if I, if I live by your praise, then I also have to Live by your criticism. I don't care about your praise and I don't care about your criticism. I didn't get up this morning. My testimony didn't have nothing to do with you. My testimony had to do with Jesus. And I come by to tell you that the world needs more believers. The world needs more people that believe and just tell their story. I'm not asking you to go heal the miracles and do the. I'm not asking you to sell anything. Go tell your story. And I promise you, as you tell your story, signs and wonders and all the other stuff will follow you. It'll separate your friends. It'll separate everything around you if you just tell your story. It's my whole life. It's my whole life. It's just telling my story. So it's a good place to end. you got to get to class. Next week, homework. Write your story down. Tell your story to at least one person. It may just be your kids. Your kids may have never heard your story. Set them down. I, say, I want to tell you my story. Who I was. What God did. Practice telling your story. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. I know I'm cutting this thing right in the middle, Lord. We'll finish this. God, I ask you next week, will you please let them grip bold? Let them be the guy with the big smile, the big eyes. Here I am. Ready to mess up your normal. Not because I'm trying to hurt you or do it. I'm just come by to tell you my story. I just come by to tell you what Jesus did for me. Father, will you give them that this next week? The world needs this. We don't need one more news report. We don't need one more Facebook post. We need stories. God, let them tell their story, which is beautiful and unique and perfectly abnormal. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.